morning. And if you want God to speak to you this morning, why don't you just uh, join me in prayer. Father, please speak to us again through your living word and by your spirit. Help us, uh, transform us, renew our minds, uh, transform us so that we might be a blessing uh, to our family, our neighbors, to this city, to this nation, that we may be for the praise of your glory amongst the nations. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. So when your alarm goes off in the morning um, and you begin to sort of gradually gain consciousness, what are your waking thoughts? Now for me, it can be a lot of things. Quite often, I wake up with groaning, and I'm groaning about the stupid things I said yesterday or even years ago. I don't know what it is, but I'm a great one for remembering the daft things I've said in the past, and I wake up with, oh, no. I think I got this from my father, actually, but uh, <laughs> I checked with my brothers. They get it as well, so maybe. Anyway, or maybe I'm thinking about the elders' meetings, uh, you know, that happened the night before. Or maybe I'm thinking about what some, some task that's coming up in the day, and it fills me with apprehension. Those are my thoughts. But on my better days, before I swivel my feet from out of the duvet and place them on the ground, I pray. And one of the places I go to to shape my prayer is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So please open it up again. It's read to us really well. We're going to focus on these two verses of Romans chapter 12. And I want to commend it to you this morning as a, a a great couple of verses to memorize and to turn into a prayer before you get out of bed in the morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read it again to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So great verses to memorize, great verses to turn into prayer. Because it reminds us, firstly, as a Christian that you are surrounded by grace. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I don't know whether you write little um, family summaries of the year bef- you know, that you've just had and send them out with your Christmas cards or send them out with emails. We, I, I tend to do this. And, uh, but if you're a Christian, this is something you can always say about every year. God has been very kind to me. He has continued to show me his patient compassion and wonderful grace. Uh, Maybe 2021 was full of disappointments, dashed hopes uh, in a relationship, discouragement at work, disappointments in the family, um, worrying medical diagnoses, deterioration in health, 
the death of a loved one. Yet the truest answer we can give to the question of how is your year gone if you're a Christian is that we can say God has shown us undeserved kindness. And this, this verse reminds us of this in two ways. The word therefore links everything that Paul has said in chapters 1 to 11 to what he's about to say. Everything in those chapters that have proclaimed uh, the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God's kindness and his love has forever been proved to us through his son Jesus, who came to make atonement for our sins. So Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Or think about Romans 5 verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? These are always true for the Christian. And the gospel truth is connected with what follows to that word, therefore. And it's summed up in, in these words, in view of God's mercy. Or another way you could translate this, in view of God's compassion. And the wonder for the Christian contemplating God's mercy is that he chose particularly to apply, to apply it to us individually. Now this is an astonishing thought. So as we work through Romans chapter 8, we saw that God chooses who to have compassion on. 9 verse 15 says this, um, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, it says. So what a reality to consider if you're a Christian today that God chose to pour out his grace on you, specifically. God worked this out from before you were born and then throughout your life. You have a glorious destiny by foreknowledge and predestination and calling and justification and glorification, God's salvation is being worked out in your life specifically. And this is true for all who've put their trust in Jesus. And so the Christian can, can wake up every day surrounded by the sovereign, free, undeserved kindness of God's grace towards us in Jesus. All things in our life story is working out towards this ultimate glory. That's what we've been learning in Romans 8 to 11. And so it's a great verse to memorize and it's a great thing to turn into prayer because it reminds the Christian not only are we surrounded by grace, but that we are to be shaped by grace. See, when we grasp the compassionate mercy and the grace of God towards us, then we will allow this grace to shape our lives. 
uh, to shape uh, what we do with our bodies and to shape the way that we think with our minds. So let's think about these two aspects, uh, our bodies and our minds. So, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, that word underneath true and proper actually is the word logical. The logical an appropriate response to knowing that God has come in Jesus and with his body offered himself as a sacrifice for atonement is that we offer our bodies as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and worship. Notice the three words that are linked to this idea of describing our lives as a sacrifice offering. It's a living sacrifice so um, what's been proclaimed here is not some just some moment in your life where you, you know, might like those five missionaries we've been, we thought about in a film we watched recently as a church who went to a part of the Amazon and, and, and were willing to be martyred for their faith. You know, well, yes, uh, clearly they're offering their lives as a sacrifice to the Lord of thanksgiving. But, you know, it's, it's not just about one moment where you die. It's actually you're a living sacrifice. It's about the ongoing choices that you make to live your life as an act of worship to God. And it's not about being passive and half-hearted. It is a vital and alive response to God. It's living. It's holy. In the sense that we're offering our bodies in service of God, set apart for Him rather than being, you know, self-serving or to live to serve somebody else. We're holy. We're set apart to serve God. And it's pleasing. We're offering ourselves to God in a way that we know will delight God, that will please God. And we do so with a sincerity and an integrity. That's our true, proper, logical response of gratitude and worship to God. Now, before Jesus came, worship in Israel meant special people, priests, offering sacrifices, animals uh, who were killed in, in special places called the temple. But since Jesus has offered himself once for all as a sacrifice for sin and has risen from the dead, then those days are all gone. We don't need a special group of people called priests. In fact, in Christ, we are all priests. We don't need special places to serve God. The whole of our life can now be this arena for us to worship God. Um, in our work, in our rest, in our play, when we travel on the bus, when we drive our car, when we cook meals, for others, when we take time to listen, when we, uh, when we bathe and clothe our children, when we care for our parents and our spouses, it all has the potential to be an act of worship to God in response to his saving grace in our lives. It has the potential. It's not automatically so. 
Because the truth is that we can so easily kind of forget this, uh, dive out of our beds, rush on in our lives, and go through life with a sort of default way of living, uh, of just living like everybody else who don't worship God or, or thank God. As someone, uh, I, I, I don't know who said it, but someone has said the problem with living sacrifices is that they have a tendency to crawl off the altar. And that's why the Apostle Paul is urging them. He's appealing to the Christians in Rome to allow the grace of God to shape their whole lives. And so before you roll out of bed tomorrow, can I encourage you to remind yourself that with all the different parts of your body, you could have a fresh opportunity to worship God, to serve God. What I do with my feet, my hands, my tongue, my arms, my face, my emotions, my will can be used to either serve God or to serve sin. That's what Paul taught earlier in chapter 6, didn't he? Chapter 6, verse 13 says this, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. We have been set free by God's grace so that now we can choose to offer up our bodies to him as instruments of righteousness. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Real worship's what you do with your body. I mean, I love singing. Singing is great. It's one of the joys of coming together. But you know, worship is not just singing. It's how you head out the door and what you do with the rest of your day. That is true worship. It's the whole of our lives. But it's not just our bodies that need to be shaped by grace, but also our minds, our thinking. So verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's two Two appeals here, isn't there? Firstly, do not be conformed. We all have a very strong desire to fit in with other people, uh, to conform to whatever the subculture we aspire to be in. You know, we say, well, I'm going to be a non-conformist, but you'd love to fit in with your own little tribe. And so we hate turning up to events dressed in the wrong clothes, whether it's a black tie event or whether we're turning to a goth concert. If you wear the wrong clothes, you feel pretty silly. We all like to fit in with our tribes. And all the time we are being nudged and shaped to fit into the spirit of our age, the values of our society. Uh, do not conform to this world. The, the word underneath it is literally this age. Strong influences are pressing in on us all the time to conform to the ever-changing values of our culture to be materialistic, to be about whatever the latest form of superficial beauty is about, to be the right body shape, uh, to, to have the right sort of thinking about uh, gender, uh, to have the right sort of views about uh, sexual freedom, 
about abortion, about assisted dying, about religious relativism, about identity politics, about really godless secularism. And it's actually getting quite militant, I feel. The government pays people now to nudge us into certain ways of thinking and has effectively mobilized fear, I believe, to control our behavior throughout this COVID crisis. We're all being shaped by the noises of the media and the papers and what government officials are saying to us all around us. Certain ideologies are gripping institutions uh, in media and university, government and schools, and people are getting cancelled or threatened because they don't conform to the ideologies of one particular group that seems to be in charge. We're all being squeezed and conformed in a certain way of thinking. Every time you watch the news, every time you read the paper, every time you watch the latest drama, more insidiously, that shapes our views in lots of ways. I don't know if you've noticed this, noticed this but they've started putting up uh, Warnings on old movies. I was showing this week how they've put warnings on the Indiana Jones movie because it contains outdated views that might cause upset, which is to say that these values keep changing. But the Bible urges us not to be conformed to the ever-changing spirit of our age. And the Christian who understands the mercies of God will resist this attempt to conform to the values of a world that's in rebellion against God. But instead, positively, will seek to be transformed. And how are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds, shaped by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's the third appeal here, isn't it? Don't be conformed, but be transformed. And that word transformed is the same word used of Jesus being transfigured, revealing something of his glory, revealing what one day we will all share with him. Our minds and our thoughts matter to God. The way you think matters to God. And what God desires of us is that we respond to his grace by allowing our minds and our thoughts to be shaped by his glorious, transforming grace. So that instead of being conformed to the spirit of the age, we will allow God's spirit to shape our thinking. And it all happens in this renewal of our minds. It's an ongoing process. It's not like a one-off thing. Oh, I'm renewed. I'm transformed. No, The pressures of conforming are ongoing and the need for transformation is ongoing and therefore we need to keep pursuing the renewal of our minds. And it's vital that we see this big link between our minds in verse 2 and what we do with our bodies in verse 1. You see, what we read and think about and dwell upon and allow ourselves to be entertained by, allow our eyes to see and consider, will shape what we do. If we all fill our minds with what is garbage, filthy, perverse, then it'll be no surprise really if our words and actions become increasingly empty, filthy, and perverse. If we fill our minds just with the values of the culture around us, then we will adopt those exact same values in our own lives. 
Uh, I watched this series about Dubai and uh, these incredibly wealthy people. And, and one of the women on there has fabulous wealth. And she says, the thing about Dubai that's great is you don't have to hide your wealth. Everybody shows their wealth. That, she loves it because you're in a culture which, which feeds what you want to do. Um, if that ex- is, it means excessive consumerism. Minds that are being renewed and transformed by God's grace will be visible in the way we use our bodies. And as we live out uh, the renewal of our minds in in the day-to-day actions of our bodies, we will show in experience that God's will is good. Uh, Underneath this word, um, then you'll be able to test and approve is a word in the Greek, dokimatso. And um, it's, it's sort of, you know, they used to have the, the adverts, they probably still do have them, about uh, laundry detergent. And you see these T-shirts, and it's got horrible stains on it, of very, you know, various different stains and sweat and food and, you know, a right, a right mess. And then, and then they sort of put it in the detergent and wash it and, out, and put it out on the line, and it's beautiful white. Uh, You you prove through actually uh, doing the experiment, buying the detergent, you prove that it it works. It's it's a wonderful thing. And that's that's this word to prove by experience that we've got here. The more that we allow the grace of God to shape our minds and our bodies, the more we will have proven life experience that what God reveals in his words and empowers by his spirit is good and pleasing. And it reflects the coming kingdom of Jesus where history is heading. The more we will saturate our minds with, with, with God's will in his word and, and work it out in our lives, the more we will see in the experience of our lives that, it, that, that what God's word says is good. It's pleasing to God and it'll be pleasing to us. And we'll be more and more shaped to where we're heading, this future glory of being like Christ in his kingdom. So um, this transformed life, uh, in a sense, is the first two verses that are the heading for the rest of the letter. This is a big pivot point, isn't it, in the letter to the, to the church in Rome. Um, he's going to spell out to them in the light of all that we've seen about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, when we let that affect our minds and our bodies, then here are the applications, here are the implications beginning worked out in the life of the church. And we're going to see that this teaching is directed not so much just to us as individuals, but to us as a whole church. See, chapter 11 has revealed to us that there must have been some tensions in the church, tensions between the different ethnic groups, between the, the Gentile believers in Jesus and the, and, the, and the Jewish believers in Jesus. And so in chapter 11, verse 13, he says this, I am talking to you Gentiles. 11, verse 18, do not consider yourselves to be superior. Verse 20, do not be arrogant, but tremble. And verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery so that you may not be conceited. So Paul is appealing to a a church made up of Gentiles and Jews in Rome to allow the grace of God 
to so transform their minds that they'll break away from old prejudices. Uh, the prejudices of their age. And instead, they will work to pursue unity together in their church. And let's be honest, the need for unity uh, never gets old. Uh, it never goes away. COVID has caused tensions in churches. Some people have thought that um, by our actions, we've been too strict and followed too much what the government says. Other people think we've been too lax. And this has caused tensions in churches in the UK. But as I speak to my friends who pastor churches in America, it's caused even greater tensions, greater frictions. Uh, churches are getting split apart on this issue, especially as it's been overlaid with presidential politics over the last few years. Unity amongst a diverse group of people is never easy. And this appeal to offering up our bodies as living sacrifices and having transformed minds then gets very specific in these chapters uh, as we consider how to, in verses 3 to, eight, 3 to 8, how we serve one another or how we love one another in verses 9 to 11, how we welcome one another and how we maintain unity when there are differences of opinion on divisive matters. But that's for the coming weeks. So let's come back and apply these specific verses to us uh, this morning. If there's always a danger of being conformed by the, the spirit of this age, and we always need to keep being transformed by the renewing of our minds, what are we filling our minds and thoughts with? What are you filling your mind with? You see, a renewed Transform mind, it requires a choice. We are all influenced and shaped by the people around us and the people uh, that we hear. The question is this, who are you allowing to influence and shape you? We're all going to be influenced. The only question is, who are you going to allow that special place to influence and shape you? When we just consume all that the world throws at us uncritically, we will be conformed to its values, its ethics, and its entertainments. Or will we pursue a renewed mind that engages critically and thoughtfully with the world around us as we um, want to be people who first and foremost are shaped by God's will in his word? So what are some practical things we could do about this? Well, it should be obvious, but let me just say it. Prioritize reading the Bible every day. Uh, if you haven't quite got around to making it a priority every day, every day start today. Um, get, get, a, get a plan. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you've got a smartphone, there's a free app you can get. If we move on to the next screen... Uh, it's called The Reading Plan, The Bible Reading Plan. And actually, you can download lots of different ways of reading through the Bible. For years and years and years, I've read through the whole Bible in a year. This year, I'm just going to slow, I'm slowing down. Shona and I just, we're focusing on the book of Ephesians together in January. It might even go into February now. Uh, uh, some other friends here were telling me that this year they've decided to just memorize Scripture as a couple. And they've got different uh, verses that they're learning to, 
to memorize every week and uh, to get that and to apply that into our lives. It doesn't really matter what method you're going to use, but have a way that you're prioritizing, that you're being shaped by the Word of God every day. I mean, if you only come on the Sunday morning, then you're only going to get an hour a week. Uh, you know, and I don't know how much social media you consume, but on average, people consume about 15 hours a week. So if you only get one hour of church and 15, it's, what's going to shape you? We need to daily prioritize the reading of God's word. And I would encourage you to, as you read, look for those things that point out how glorious the gospel is and thank God. And notice how always the ethics, the implications of how to live always are connected with the gospel. The Christian life is motivated by gratitude and thanksgiving. Um, there's other ways you can help yourself. Um, there's some great online resources. Um, you can go to websites like the Gospel Coalition. Um, there's, a, there's some great podcasts out there. Undeceptions by John Dixon or Quantum of Solace with David Robertson or you know, Alistair Begg's Truth for Life. Every day he puts out uh, uh, Bible content you can listen to as you go about uh, you can podcast Charlotte Chapel sermons if you want to catch up on old sermons. But use the time to um, redeem the time. If you're walking the dog, going in the car, you could listen to something useful that helps you critically engage with the culture around you and let the Word of God bathe your mind. And can I just say, make the most of the opportunities for spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, what a blessing to be here Sunday by Sunday. What a blessing to have had a week of prayer where we've had the opportunity to pray together in the evening. Uh, opportunity of praying on Tuesday evenings, we heard earlier, and pray for our mission partners. What a joy to be in small Bible study groups where we can love and serve each other and encourage each other to renew our thinking together and to pray for each other. These are all options that you can engage with as a church, but it's actually over to you. Are you going to make most of those opportunities? So let me remind you, Paul does say, therefore I urge you. It doesn't automatically happen. Are we going to respond to the urgings of the Apostle Paul? Are we going to make the most of the opportunities that we can to, ha to have renewed minds and so we can offer up our bodies as living sacrifices? Will we allow the gospel of grace to shape us? Or will, are we just going to be conformed by the spirit of this age? And it's a challenge to us as a church as well as to us individually, isn't it? A church that forgets the gospel of grace will not care about the lost. It will become inward-looking and will just copy the same concerns of a godless age. When we forget about the mission of God, then churches can become unhappy places of cliques and competing interest groups, uh, of people who grumble and moan if they feel they're not getting the best share of it. And we become an aging, shrinking, and dying thing. But a church that is shaped by grace will be a remarkable place. It will be a place of supernatural harmony. It will offer itself up sacrificially uh, to serve and reach a lost world with the gospel of grace. Uh, it will be growing as a place of, of welcome and forgiveness and Mercy that breaks down social and ethnic divides of our culture to be a place of love that overcomes evil and transforms people's lives. 
So can I encourage you to memorize these two verses and to turn it into a little daily prayer before you put your feet out from underneath the duvet. How about this for a prayer? Let me put this on the screen. Something like this. Heavenly Father, in view of your loving mercy and amazing grace, I offer up my whole body to you as a living sacrifice of worship that's holy and pleasing to you. Please help me not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but by your word and spirit to be transformed as you renew my mind, that my life and our church may prove your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Something like that. Memorize it. You can play around with that prayer as you regain consciousness each morning. Well, we're going to learn a wonderful uh, new song. Invite the band. And uh, they're going to come and teach it to us. And then we're going to witness the baptism. And then we're all going to have a go, sing it together. So listen in as the band leads us.